It's nice to have our choir back, right? Welcome back, folks, and welcome to those of you that are with us for the first time. Glad to have you here. A 12-year-old boy named John was playing with the 9-year-old girl who lived next door. Her name was Marie. Unfortunately, they found a loaded pistol in a dresser drawer, and before long, their make-believe game turned into a tragic nightmare, and little Marie was dead. Everyone in the town attended the funeral, everyone except John, who could not face anyone and refused to talk to anyone. The morning after the funeral, Marie's older brother went next door to talk to John. John, come with me, he said. I want to take you to school. John refused, saying, I never want to see anyone again. I wish it was me who was dead. The brother insisted and finally persuaded John to go with him. The brother talked with the school principal and asked him to call a special assembly. 508 students filled the gymnasium that day. Marie's brother stood before them and said, A terrible thing has happened. My little sister was accidentally shot by one of your classmates. This is one of those tragedies that mar life. Now, I want you all to know that my family and John's family have been to church together this morning, and we shared communion. Then he called John out to stand next to him and put his arm around his shoulders and continued. This boy's future depends much on us. My family has forgiven John because we love him. Marie would want that. And I ask you to love and forgive him, too. Then he hugged John, and they wept. With the first reading of this story, as reported by a friend of mine, Greg Jones, formerly dean of Duke Divinity School, I found myself a little bit confused emotionally. I felt a peculiar sentimental twinge at the end, but to the extent that the story reflected factual events, the content was far from, far from sentimental. Greg said this was a true story. And I guess my problem lay with the compression of the story into just a few short paragraphs, so I read it again. And this time I found I had questions like, Well, who left the loaded gun in the house? And whose house was it anyway? Was it Marie's or John's, another neighbor's? Had the families reconciled with whoever owned the weapon? So I read it again. And this time I focused solely on John and let the peripheral questions evaporate. I tried to put myself into John's shoes made all the more difficult because he was only 12. Still, it didn't take a great effort to feel a chilling 
horror as a perpetrator in such a terrible accident to hold the truth that I was the one that pulled the trigger. As I thought about it, I felt as though it would cause me to want to disappear, to dissolve into the floor, simply never to be seen or heard from again. It is also clear how the offer of forgiveness and restoration by Marie's brother could give back to John his very life. Reaching beyond his grief, <clears throat> risking himself in this way, Marie's brother offered John a way out of his dark pit. And further, he invited the larger community to witness this restoration. This was a gift of grace to the entire neighborhood. Understood from this vantage point, this story lies far from the sentimental end of the spectrum and closer to its opposite. It lies closer to the place of making and unmaking, the place of birth and death and resurrection, the place that lies nearest to the heart of God. Peter asks Jesus if he should be willing to forgive someone, say, seven times. On the one hand, I suppose that sounds like quite a lot. But having a tin twinge of the modern cynic in me, <clears throat> I'm thinking that Peter is really asking for a limit. As if he were saying, Okay, I know forgiveness is part of your program, Jesus, but there really is a limit, right? When is enough enough in the forgiveness department? Jesus utters his famous response, not seven times, but 70 times, or as some scholars think it says, 70 times seven times. Forgiveness unlimited. You know, over the years I have found that while communicating the power of this message of forgiveness is sort of simple, it sort of speaks for itself, it is simultaneously extremely difficult to absorb as a concept, infinity is simple but not easy to assimilate. Forgiveness and mercy are conceptually simple but not easy in practice. Our psyche recoils at the outlandish nature of Jesus' stipulation. It's easy to see how forgiveness can be relegated to the discarded pile of pious sentiments left for a few religious types to pick over and practice. While in the meantime, the, re the, the realists, the rest of us, the realists in the room, will get down to business on what needs to be done as a result of resentment and revenge, you know, living in the world we actually have. In one of his letters to Malcolm, the famous Christian apologist C.S. Lewis wrote that one day, quote, last week, while at prayer, I suddenly discovered, or felt as if I did, that I had really forgiven someone I have been trying to forgive for over 30 years, trying and praying that I might. That's a long time, 30 years. 
long time to attempt something like forgiveness. If you're over 40, I wonder if you have someone like that in your past, in your life, that you're still holding onto 30 years later, the resentment. I suspect that in his mind, Lewis had already forgiven the person, or at least wanted to want to forgive. Do you know what I'm talking about there? You want to want to forgive? But there is a long distance between the head and the heart, between what we say and what we do, what we intend and what we actually execute. Right? I know from personal experience there are levels of sincerity to peel away on something like this. I say to myself, I sort of want to forgive someone, or maybe I should try, but the fact is I have very strong attachments to my resentments. Very strong. They are precious to me, honestly. Very precious. My resentments define me in part when I stop to think about it. If I didn't have them, who would I be? To a very great degree, I am my resentment. And if I let it go, how does that make perpetrators accountable? Does it adequately address the severity of the hurt or the harm? By God, that's who I am, a victim. And don't you dare take that away from me. To forgive someone does not require warm feelings towards that person, of course, nor does it mean you will continue to put yourself in harm's way of a dangerous person. To forgive does not mean we should not protect ourselves, nor does it mean we should not seek justice. doesn't make us a doormat. These are common misunderstandings and often used as excuses for retaining our resentment. So precious is it to us. Forgiveness is an orientation toward life based upon God's orientation toward us. This is the heart. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is an orientation towards life based upon God's orientation towards us. The point of the little story Jesus tells concerning the unforgiving slave comes when the king says to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you. All that debt because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Forgiveness involves a way of seeing the world and understanding our place within it. It involves the awakening consciousness of our own fallibility of our own standing before God and our sisters and brothers. Forgiveness requires a posture of humility. To either give or receive forgiveness requires a leveling of sorts. You see this in the story of John and Marie. With older brother's offer of reconciliation, the emotional spiritual gulf between him and John is compressed. 
It dissipates, it disappears, the distance between them. John is lifted out of the pit and the brother's humility makes him available for authentic reconciliation, which in turn allows the wider community to join them. Do you see how restorative it is, how life-giving it is? In the classic motion picture, of the life of Gandhi, there is a scene in which a Hindu father whose child has been killed by a Muslim comes to Gandhi in great grief and remorse. And out of a sense of retribution, he has killed a Muslim child. He now kneels before Gandhi, asking how he can get over his guilt and regret. And Gandhi, who is gravely ill, tells the man that he must go and adopt a boy and raise him as his very own son. That request seems reasonable, but then comes a requirement in order to find inner peace. The Hindu man must raise the boy to be a Muslim. And overwhelmed, the man leaves Gandhi's room in total disarray. Later, however, he returns and again kneels beside Gandhi's bed. He now understands. Hostility and resentment must be replaced by the practice of humble love. (laughs) You know, we could say that in order for such an event to take place within the heart of a person requires a miracle. In part, it is the miracle of sight of seeing, of what has always been, yet never comprehended. You know, if peace were ever to break out in a place that knew only implacable hatred, it would be due to a series of many miracles just like that one. As though learning forgiveness became a contagion. If reconciliation were to occur between you and, well, fill in the blank, who do you need to be reconciled with? I, I'm going to take a guess that there isn't a single person in this room who doesn't have a broken relationship. I don't know. Maybe there's one of you. or an unresolved relationship, or a deep resentment you still have for someone. If if reconciliation were to occur, it might actually feel to you like a miracle. As though, in fact, before it happened, it was impossible. I think we are much too shy about praying for such a thing much too chicken because to pray for such a thing puts us on the line puts us on the move causes us to stake a claim even if it's hard I think we should pray like mad that such miracles would rain down on us Forgiveness becomes possible when our vision improves. 
when we see ourselves for who we truly are and when we see others more closely for who they are, as though from God's perspective. Participating in acts of forgiveness and reconciliation is very nearly the same thing as participating in acts of creation. I think that's one of the principal reasons we've been put on earth, to participate with God in acts of creation. Doing that maxes our greatest potential. It is one of the greatest glories of being human to work with God in acts of creation. In a few minute we'll few minutes we'll pray our father in heaven forgive us our trespasses forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us <laughs> and maybe hopefully miraculously we will actually mean it